Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by one of the best, most uh, clear-thinking generals in the country, now retired General David Perkins. will be here live, retired United Army, four-star. Uh, so he'll be with us, and we'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669, as I mentioned. You can also write me on briankilmeade.com. I was able to get some late-arriving uh, emails last night to go through them and be able to answer some of them. But we're still uh, – the big story, of course, is what happened with that nuclear attack at that nuclear power station in Ukraine. I didn't know they had five of them. They got six reactors in this facility. It just brings me to uh, so many conclusions how dangerous this war is. It gets more dangerous by the day. And I just don't know where the end is. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. Where do you stand? I'm I'm all for that. Ban it. Ban the oil. Ban the oil coming from Russia. Yep. What? Nancy Pelosi, Lindsey Graham, Elizabeth Warren all agree. Stop buying Russian oil and financing Putin's war of choice. Guess who Guess who chooses to keep buying it? Joe Biden. Number two. This is not the Cold War. This is a madman with nukes. And so I think we really need to think through what are the pathways we have left. One, connecting with the Russian people. I think they're, they're our best hope, really, to put pressure on Putin and the regime to de-escalate this. And the second one is oligarchs. Yes, we've just sanctioned tons of them, but none of them are going to be happy about going back home after losing a fortune. Yes, uh, Clint Watts weighing in. Sanctions seem to be the only hope to stop Putin's war machine. What's been done? What oligarchs have been targeted and how? Number one. We are fighting with Nazis. To all people who know the word Chernobyl, who knows how much grief and victims the explosion at the nuclear power plant brought, it was a global catastrophe. Russia wants to repeat this and is already repeating it. Uh, that is true. And that was a translator of uh, Zelensky, uh, Vladimir Zelensky and Vladimir Putin. Uh, Voldemort Zelensky, I should say. Putin defiant, Zelensky unbowed. The Russian siege of Ukraine continues, and the refugees' disaster is overwhelming NATO nations, especially Poland. How much death and destruction will the West sit back and just watch as the inept or just pure evil Russian forces nearly blow up a massive nuclear power plant that was, they said, it's the biggest one in all of Europe? Are you kidding? So do you think they're targeting it? One thing is pretty clear. One quarter of all the power in the country of Ukraine powered by this six-reactor plant. One quarter. Russians are in control of it now. Ukrainian firefighters are putting out the fire. Two have been killed, and the IAEA is trying to get in. But getting into a war zone is not easy. So that is in the southern part of the country. 
What else are they doing? Are they just trying to turn out the lights, don't really care that it's nuclear, want to be seen as somebody that's out of control, even though Vladimir Putin perhaps is not out of control? I think he's nuts. So yesterday he called up Francois Macron, who basically after 90 minutes said, this guy, the, more, the worst is yet to come with this guy. He's not backing out an inch. Here's a little from Vladimir Putin, cut to. I will never forgo my conviction that uh, the Russians and uh, Ukrainians are a single people, even though the citizens of Ukraine are intimidated and many of them are misguided with nationalist propaganda. We are fighting with Nazis. The nationalist detachments, which include foreign fighters, including from the Middle East, use peaceful citizens as a human shield. It's amazing. Meanwhile, Zelensky sat there and took all calls. He said, I, he goes, don't, I don't worry. Don't worry about me. I don't bite Vladimir Putin. Let's sit down and talk about this because Putin doesn't want to get near his own generals. You see the size of that 40-foot table that he's on? We hear he's totally isolated. There's nothing that I have seen that's any different. The one thing is pretty clear for people trying to figure out what's in his head. He's definitely changed. He used to have people around him giving the sense that he was leading this huge government. He's COVID-19 nuts. And that's what's happening. Meanwhile, Zelensky brilliantly is using the media not to go out and say things that aren't true as her propaganda arm, but to continue to say we're fighting. I'm not going anywhere. There's said to have been three hit squads that have been killed, cut down. They're out to try to kill him. Now, in Vladimir Putin's remarks, he actually says he is looking to capture or kill these Ukrainian nationalist uh, 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 leaders. Capture or kill. Are we actually going to watch as Zelensky gets delivered to Moscow? Are you kidding? Here he is uh, talking about the needs that he still has and how everybody seems to be late coming to his side. Cut three. If you don't have the strength and courage to close the sky, then give me the planes. If we fall, God forbid, next will be Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. He's not wrong. And this is what we have to be relentless on this. Reports are that NATO stopped the sale or the giveaway, the gift of these MiGs that were going to go to the Ukrainian pilots who could actually defend themselves and took back the skies. But NATO, so concerned that it looked as provocative from Russia, banned the sale from Poland. How unbelievable is that? A big mistake, Admiral James Stravitis just wrote to me. So he was former Supreme Ally commander of NATO. So he's not just a military officer. He understands the legal ramifications of doing that. And it is indeed worth it. Here's more from Zelensky, cut five, about challenging Vladimir Putin. It's not about I want to talk with Putin. I think I have to talk with Putin. The world has to talk with Putin because there are no other ways to stop this war. Yeah, there are ways to stop the war. Get the hell out of the country. He knows that. But he's kind of helpless. What also bothers Zelensky, he says I, I, he took a question from uh, our guy, Trey Yingst, yesterday. And Trey Yingst said, what, do you, what are your conversations with Vladimir Putin, uh, Vi, excuse me, President Biden like? And he said, they're really good and they're giving me a lot. In fact, he's asking for $10 billion more, not Zelensky, but Biden for Zelensky. But he went on to say, why did he wait till now? It would have been great to have it before the war, a war that he predicted would take place. So what is Vladimir Putin thinking? 
Right now, he's finding out that his ruble is worth less than half of 1%. Right now, he finds out that interest rates went from 9 to 20%. Right now, he's finding out that private industry, refineries, and insurers are deciding not to insure his ships that are cargo ships full of oil. And refineries are refusing to refine it in most of America already, in Sweden and in Finland. And, in fact, India says, if you want to buy it, you've got to send it to me. But he can't get insurers now, in many cases, that would actually insure these voyages so you can't afford to lose all that money. It would bankrupt a nation. So now we're trying to bankrupt him before he does even more damage. That's the key. So General Jack Keane was able to come on uh, late last night. He came on with me again this morning. And he talked about these sanctions and the harm they may or may not be doing. Cut 12. Pulling out all the stops to help the Ukrainians defend themselves should be the mission. I mean, I know we're triumphant about the sanctions. We feel good about strengthening NATO, and we were kind of beating our chest at the State of the Union about that. But the real message has got to be to the Ukrainians is that we're not going to let this stand. Mm-hmm. We're not no. going to let this happen. We're going to help you with everything that we got. And let's use our imagination to do some of that. So what is the reality? The imagination. You know what he says? He says you need creative military minds. So if you look and see what they're doing today, and I don't have a map in front of me, but maybe you do, you could see in the south coast Crimea, that's where they base everything from, and they're working their way down, and Maripol is now under attack. That's a coastal city. They saw, um, you also saw another city uh, fall last night, uh, yesterday, which is right on the coast, and Odessa's being targeted. There's evidently six warships sitting aside, and I don't see any evidence for that I've seen and hopefully I'm just missing it, that Ukraine is, Ukraine is prepared to fight for Odessa. So that would leave them landlocked. So who's going to creatively be able to arm and feed the rest of Ukraine? You're going to need imagination. You're going to need a resourcefulness. And it's not going to come from the president. It's not going to come from Ron Klain. But they have to okay it. For Vladimir Putin and what's in his mind, one guy knows better than anybody else. And he'll be joining me on One Nation at 8 and 11. On Saturday night, his name is Bill Browder. Why? Because he got rich in Moscow in private business when he tried to expose the corruption of Vladimir Putin, who takes 50 percent of every oligarch's earnings. He basically was giving a death warrant. They tried to arrest him. They tried to make him an international pariah. Then they tried to kill him, just like they try to poison all their enemies and other people that run against Vladimir Putin. Does Browder know, does Bill Browder know the makeup of Vladimir Putin? Absolutely. How does he feel so far? Well, this campaign is now in day nine. They've had one city captured. They've had a lot of defections. They've had more deaths than they ever imagined. But yet, you think they're going for total annihilation. They're on track to do that, sadly. Here's what Bill Browder said about what he's seen so far about a man that that, uh, Bill Browder has considered Vladimir Putin's number one enemy. Cut 20. I'm afraid that there's actually no way out. And what I know about Vladimir Putin is that um, he doesn't have a, a reverse gear. When he, when he goes into a conflict, it always escalates, and it just keeps on escalating, and it just never stops escalating, and it escalates beyond your most terrible scenario. Vladimir Putin is a guy, and, and is particularly bad in this case because he's a guy who's been humiliated in his first week yeah. of invasion. He hasn't done what he said he was going to do. He was humiliated militarily. And he's been humiliated um, by Western governments who have frozen all sorts of assets. He never expected anyone to act. We never did before. He did Mm. Georgia. He did Crimea. He shot down passenger planes. He poisoned people in England. No no consequence. And so he's been humiliated militarily. He's been humiliated economically. And um, he doesn't do humiliation well. No, not at all. Uh, I hope he feels that way. I just don't know how delusional he is. And if he's actually snowing himself that it's going well, what they're telling him. 
one 866 I'll take your calls when we get back. Bottom of the hour, we go to talk tactics with General David Perkins. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are hearing from ordinary Russians whose lives have been turned upside down by these sanctions. We spoke this morning to a young woman. She runs a successful health food company, but she's looking to move to Argentina. And she told us there's no future here. And we are hearing that over and over again from young, educated Russians. But getting out of Russia is not an easy thing to do right now. If you go to one of Moscow's international airports, you look up at the departure board, you are just seeing a sea of cancellations because North American and European airspace are closed to Russian aircraft. And of course, as the ruble collapses in value, prices are just skyrocketing here. And we are seeing that on everything from car parks to toys to groceries in the supermarkets. People here are very, very worried about their savings, whether inflation is going to completely wipe them out. Yeah, I mean, if you are a Russian and you don't love your country or you're sickened by your country's leadership, you're basically, there's a fear, and this is coming, martial law inside the country. Already, if you're there protesting, you could be looking at 15 years in prison. 15 years in prison for protesting. I told you yesterday, two days ago, they arrested seven kids. Most were under 10 years old for putting flowers at the Ukrainian embassy and putting a sign that says, stop war. Children behind bars. That's how insane that country is. Why they think that's okay. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is sanctioning uh, more oligarchs. Uh, They're hunting them down. In fact, they finally have Merrick Garland doing something that uh, beneficial. He is going to look to find out through his prosecutors uh, and target the other Russian oligarchs. The place where there's a lot of oligarchs is the U.K. because of their permissive banking culture. A lot of people feel very secure over there. So now they can get locked up and do the world a big favor in doing it. So I'm for these sanctions, but it is our best hope. It is our best hope to stop this war. Senator uh, Lindsey Graham weighed in, and he says, listen, I can't wait for this. I'm not sure sanctions will work, but I know exactly this country would be much better off without Vladimir Putin. Cut 18. What's happened is that Putin looks at Biden. He sized him up. He thinks he can get away with it, and he's going to keep going and going and going, and nobody in the West is going to stop him. How does this end? Somebody in Russia has to step up to the plate. Is there Brutus in Russia? Is there a more successful Colonel Stoppenberg in the <coughs> Russian military? The only way this sh- 
ends, my friend, is for somebody in Russia to take this guy out. You would be doing your country a great service and the world a great service. Just don't know how you get to him. And then who's still loyal to him? Uh, reportedly, and I cannot do a dissertation on the inner circle of Russian oligarchs, but evidently the oligarchs don't have as much influence as they had. You know, when you look back, and I have a special that's going to air on Sunday at 10 o'clock, and it's on Fox Nation, a different version right now about who is Vladimir Putin. The oligarchs are really controlling the country and pulling the strings of Boris Yeltsin. When Vladimir Putin came in, he went ahead and told these oligarchs, uh, he arrested one of them, uh, brought them through the ringer, and said, listen, if you don't want the same fate, give me 50%. Then you can keep your money. Mara Eliasson weighed in. Because if you look at the mindset of Vladimir Putin, Mara Eliasson of NPR, which I like, you know, if you want somebody that's not politically oriented, she's one of them, maybe leans a little left, but definitely uh, extremely bright. So Vladimir Putin called up Macron, who's president of the EU as well as France, this They do a rotating leadership thing and basically let everybody know that the worst is yet to come. Macron got off and he sounded horrified afterwards. I watched on Sky TV some of his remarks through a translator, but you could see his body language and get his tone. Cut 22. Macron did talk to Putin and he came away with, I think, one of the most downbeat assessments that anybody has come away with from talking to Putin, which is that he believes Putin wants to take over the entire country. He's not looking for an off-ramp. He wants to finish the job. This is something that Putin has wanted to do for many years, and he has actually signaled and previewed that he wanted to do this, and uh, now he has. So that was, uh, you know, no hope for diplomacy, no hope for an off-ramp. You know, Putin wants pretty much to do to Ukraine what he did to Chechnya and or Syria, and there's going to be a lot more loss of life. And uh, I don't think that he's ever going to be talking to Zelensky. Yeah. Uh, let's go out to Jenny, who's watching us on Fox Nation. We're streamed every day. Hey, Jenny. Hey, what's up? What's on your mind? Oh, just curious as to what's going to happen if there's nuclear fallout in the breadbasket of Europe. Um, we're already having problems feeding people with high gas prices and diesel and everything here in the United States. How are we going to feed everybody else? I agree. Uh, There is, and we're seeing it now. Europe is streaming in some aid to help uh, Poland, who's taken 450,000 people. There's already 2 million that have crossed the border. They expect many more. I mean, it's a country of 21 million. They're starting to open up corridors so people can get out. So between Romania, Moldova, uh, as well as Poland. And then, you know, of course, they could fan out through there, through the rest of Europe. And I saw there were representatives from Denmark there. They're trying to help all these people who have lost everything, left everything, and are going to try to rebuild their lives elsewhere. So that's going to be pretty, uh, a pretty big, uh, a pretty big uh, hoe to row, uh, row to hoe, I should say. Newt Gingrich on this overall uh, pain that we're seeing now with Ukraine. From the analysis perspective, this is going to be even harder to come back from than Afghanistan the way it sits right now. Here's the former speaker, Cut 25. After watching the disaster in Afghanistan... Uh, I wasn't convinced that it was possible for the American government to be even dumber, more destructive, and more dishonest. Uh, This is now worse than Afghanistan. If you want to help the people of Ukraine, get them weapons. Get them weapons tonight. Get them weapons through the CIA. Get them weapons through covert means. Get them weapons by contracting with private contractors. But what the Biden administration is doing is an absurdity. If they were going out of their way to weaken the United States, they could hardly do a better job. I hear you. Uh, He's 100 percent right. 
But I don't think it's worse than Afghanistan yet. Depends how it turns out. It is everybody's problem. But why didn't he use those months on the buildup to build up the Ukrainian forces with the weapons? He's asking for $10 billion now. We would have given it to him last month. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. radio show like no other it's brian kilmeade there's a separate worry that we really need to focus about on which is if the ukrainians continue to hold out we continue to resupply them and if putin is bogged down inside ukraine really on the edge of potentially losing particularly as support at home in moscow withers away would he use a nuclear weapon a, a more tactical nuclear weapon in ukraine to bring an end to the fight to bring Zelensky to his knees, bring the West to the negotiating table to get what he wants, essentially creating capitulation. After that was uh, that was the comment of, of Clint Watt, and he is somebody that was with the CIA, national security analyst on another network. But he brought that up after a nuclear facility was one of uh, six reactors that was hit last night uh, by ancillary fire. Maybe direct, maybe not. It just seems like ineptness. Uh, who would ever have a firefight in front of a nuclear facility unless, of course, you wanted to scare the world to thinking you don't care if you just poison Europe? General David Perkins joins us now, retired United States Army four-star general. Uh, general, welcome back. Hey, Brian. How are you doing today? Good. What, what was your reaction when about 8 o'clock Eastern time we found out a nuclear reactor has been hit? Yeah, I mean— as you said, the Russians are showing themselves to not be particularly competent in this process. So I've, I've always experienced in things like this not to underestimate your enemy, but don't overestimate him either. And uh, it very well just could be another example of their inability to do good targeting, to coordinate air and ground. Um, and so I, I wouldn't overreact to it, but I w- it does give caution that when these things start escalating out of control and the Russians can't even control their own fires or people, you get to another level of danger, sometimes even worse than if it's a very professionalized military. So I want to bring you through some cities, and if you could tell me what what they're looking at now. We see that huge convoy, uh, 40 miles long, about 20,000 troops, that's been outside Kiev uh, by about 10 to 15 miles so what is that convoy doing, do you think? Could they be nesting there for the right time to strangle the city? And how many troops would it need to do that, shut off all in, uh, in and out lanes? Well, yeah, so, you know, the pictures I've seen of it, as you said, sort of lined up on the road there. Most of them appear to be uh, trucks or what we call combat support vehicles, not necessarily combat vehicles. So they're probably dismounted infantrymen and supplies, which is what, in an urban environment, you need a lot of dismounted folks. The the challenge is urban environments, and you go back historically, whether it's a Stalingrad kind of 
uh, activity or even my experience in Baghdad, those urban environments are like a sponge. They just suck up uh, soldiers, resources. Uh, the German Army in World War II had experiences of an entire German division sucked up into one city block. So when you say 40 miles, that sounds like it's a, a long uh, convoy, and it is, but I will tell you, my brigade going to Baghdad was a, about 150 miles long, that convoy. So 40 miles long is not as much capability as you think when you take a look at a city like Kiev. But you guys didn't, number one, you, it looks like you guys, uh, the, excuse me, the Russians are stuck on roads. They're not going off-road on anything, it seems. Does that help you target them if you're overmatched like the Ukrainians are? Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, and, and as I look at the types of vehicles, they are not particularly mobile, generally going way off-road. A lot of them are wheeled vehicles and such. So they're going to be constricted to the roads, which helps the Ukrainians decide how do they interdict them, where do they target, where are they coming from. It is, And the longer they are there, they, they being the Russians, the more time the Ukrainians have to prepare their defenses and be able to deal with any eventuality. So this is not something you want to do if you're going to uh, make a raid into a city is spend days and days in one location to give your enemy time to make their defensive plan. I just wonder what they're doing in terms of drones. I mean, drones are reusable. They were using them a lot. Now we're in day nine. You don't hear much about them. We got to be able to get them help. If they, if they, shouldn't that be in our things to give list? Yeah, I mean things like that. We've seen the the handheld uh, surface-to-air missiles, uh, the Javelin anti-tank missiles, drones. Those things uh, are really combat multipliers, and they can really pay off well, especially for defenders in an urban environment, because you don't have to disrupt an attacking convoy that much to bring it to a halt. Uh, so those are excellent weapons to use. And again, when the enemy is masked in a single file line like the Russians are. So I was talking to, uh, uh, to General Keene today, and he said, listen, you got to be creative. Right now it looks like their coast is shutting down Odessa and almost all the ports. I mean, they're going to be a landlocked country as long as this war is on. Either it's going to be today, tomorrow, or soon. So that means most of the arms that you would think are going to come through Poland. And when I brought that up to General Keene, he says, no, you have to be more imaginative. There's got to be more things you can bring in that we're not even thinking of that they got to present to the president. Are there people tight with the president that has an imagination, General Perkins, to understand that this is a different type challenge? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that have uh, sort of been on the other receiving end of that uh, based on their experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan that have seen – uh, our enemies be able to do that, whether it's bringing weapons from Iran and yeah. other uh, nefarious actors. So th- that's kind of where the Ukrainians are. They- they've got to use sort of a non-conventional way to fight the Russians non-conventionally. How, how disappointed are you, if at all, that they didn't go ahead and give the those 29 MiGs to the Ukrainians? They had the pilots in Poland ready to fly them out. And then NATO got cold feet saying that's going to be too provocative on the Russians. I mean, have we, can we stop worrying about being provocative to the Russians? Well, I think what we want to make sure, uh, both as uh, NATO and the U.S., is that we don't play into anything that Putin wants us to do. And we don't add to his narrative. 
you know, his rambling speech on the Monday before the invasion about how, you know, history's been turned on his head and he's just trying to right previous wrongs and he's the victim here and sort of like that. We, we, I mean, obviously that was all revisionism and not correct, but we have to, we, we've just got to think two and three moves ahead that anything that we do cannot be used by him to work his narrative because now we're seeing a coalescing of our European allies, NATO allies, the whole world is coalescing against Russia. Um, we've got to think, how do we maintain that? They understand what Russia is all about now. The veil's been taken off. And, and we don't want to stop the momentum of the noose tightening around Russia. So what can you do? I don't see much of, from what I've seen, I go online, I check everything I can. I don't see how the Ukrainians are fighting. I'm not sure where their for- forces are contra- uh, uh, concentrated. But when you look at the map, how much effort would you put into holding on to Odessa? They say the Black Pearl of the Black Sea. Yeah, and so I think one of the things that in some ways is working out to the Ukraine's advantage is their forces are not massing in any one area because the Russians have a pretty conventional force. They have, you know, a lot of artillery fires. It's not particularly accurate. So they would love to find a big mass of Ukrainians. If the Ukrainians don't mass, they don't provide a target it, it requires a much level, higher level of sophistication to go find them and root them out. And it just seems the Russians are not capable of doing that. There's a huge psychological advantage or disadvantage if you lose it to any a large population area because of the symbolism of it. And, of course, the large number of civilians that are there. So losing any large city and especially letting the Russians show they can control it is something that the Ukrainians would want to prevent because you don't want the rest of Ukraine to see that the Russians have the ability to control the population. Yeah, General uh, General David Perkins with us now, now retired, uh, looking at this situation. I want you to hear what, uh, what President Zelensky said yesterday because it's so agonizing because he talked about his relationship. Uh, he talked about his relationship with the U.S. and with Joe Biden, and he also talked about the fact that for the longest time uh, we were hoping he was hoping to get more arms before they shut down the sky, before they shut down the ports, before the war started, and he was not able to do it. So he was cut for. The end of the world is here if we cannot stop such steps. Uh, the whole world is late with Ukraine. Uh, you know, started late making decisions. I appealed to shut the sky to Biden. I said, if you cannot shut the sky now, then now give us the timeline tell us how many people have to die how many legs uh, limbs have to fly away from people's bodies so we so you hear us he's frustrated because we, we they telegraphed this whole operation it went exactly like the administration said it would yeah the um well we are where we are so i have found uh, I, I tend to focus on what we're dealing with now and, and how do we move ahead. I, 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 there's been a lot of talk about, and, and, and I, the translator was relaying about, uh, if you want to call it the no-fly zone or ability yeah. to do that. I, I would just just caution people to understand what that means because I hear a lot of talk about no-fly zone as if that would only mean activity to air, and everyone's like, oh, no, we definitely don't want to do anything on the ground. The problem is to execute a no-fly zone, you have to take out 
the enemy air defense artillery, which is on the ground. To impose air supremacy, you have to emplace air defense artillery on the ground. If you have your pilots, NATO pilots, flying over that airspace, you have to have CSAR capability, which is combat search and rescue teams on the ground. So to operate in the air, you have to have significant capability on the ground. So there's no such thing of, well, we're just going to operate in one domain and not become involved in the other. You just can't be a little bit at war. It's kind of like you can't be a little bit pregnant. You're either all at war or you're not. Uh, General David Perkins, appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right, Brian. Have a great day. You too. one 408 Every day, these major cities, first and second biggest, and now the third, the Odessa, uh, is um, under the microscope and under the crushing shelling uh, soon in Odessa, but Kharkiv and Kiev right now. So that's why we'll have the latest, and that's why I'm glad you're here. one 408 Your calls and more when we come back on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I will never forgo my conviction that uh, the Russians and uh, Ukrainians are a single people, even though the citizens of Ukraine are intimidated and many of them are misguided with nationalist propaganda. We are fighting with Nazis. The nationalist detachments, which include foreign fighters, including from the Middle East, use peaceful citizens as a human shield. Do you believe this? They say you had, we had a fight against nationalist Nazis. Nationalist Nazis. Aren't the Russian people too smart for this? They know who's in the Ukraine and who's not in the Ukraine. They know this guy was an actor on television and is Jewish. So he was rampant and ran, just rambling yesterday. Evidently, he comes in uh, to the defense, his defense ministry all the time just yelling and he says everything's going according to plan. And then he called Macron to say the worst is yet to come. He's going to go for total victory. Total victory. And that's what gets me worried. Because when you think total victory, you think of how many women uh, women and children are going to be killed from here on in. So here is uh, Zelensky talking about uh, how Putin's got to be stopped. Cut five. It's not about I want to talk with Putin. I think I have to talk with Putin. The world has to talk with Putin because there are no other ways to stop this war. Yeah, I hope so. We'll have to see. So uh, on Russian TV, they're beginning to take everybody down that has any questions or uses the word war. In fact, they shut down two what they said were somewhat independent stations yesterday. Rev Sanchez on MSNBC. Rev Sanchez uh, uh, on Russian. Excuse me. He was on MSNBC. Listen to him. Six. We're very closely watching Russian state television here as a kind of window into what the Kremlin wants people here to know. And they are not talking about it. When it comes to that nuclear plant last night, Russian state media talking as if this fire had sort of spontaneously broken out at this nuclear plant as opposed to being started 
during an attack by Russian forces. Mika, I'll tell you, we are seeing a Kremlin that is more and more determined to stomp out any alternative to the official narrative of what's happening in Ukraine. Just this morning, the Russian parliament has forced through a new law that means you can be imprisoned for 15 years for spreading what they call fake news about what's happening in Ukraine. They are censoring the few remaining independent Russian media outlets. It is not allowed to refer to the military action in Ukraine as an invasion, as in a war, as an attack. The term of art from the Kremlin is special military operation, and they are shutting down media outlets who say anything different. Unbelievable, but not surprising. I mean, look at, look at who's in power and look at what he's done. And when things go bad, he doesn't want to talk about it. The problem is the economic sanctions are really paying, uh, taking a toll on the Russian people wherever they are. Uh, more from Sanchez, cut eight. One of the things that was so discouraging from that Kremlin readout of Putin's call with Emmanuel Macron was he suggested that whatever happens at the negotiating table with the Ukrainians, he is absolutely determined to complete the goals of his so-called special military operation. And that suggests that the two sides can go and they can sit at the table together at Brest in Belarus. But there may not really be anything here to discuss if Vladimir Putin is absolutely determined to topple the Ukrainian government and, as you said, take the entire country. And it's a helpless feeling to watch these people die. Uh, hopefully weapons get in. We can't see it. I hope I never track it. But they'll just slowly shut the place down because they'll be able to shut down key thoroughfares and, and roads to be used unless... The Ukrainians have uh, more tricks up their sleeve, and we certainly have to help them with, with some resourcefulness. So we'll have to see what he's up against. You know, Senator Lindsey Graham came out and said, take him out. Somebody's got to take him out. Uh, and a lot of people think that was irresponsible. I'm not one of them. I think that Vladimir Putin, we are too worried about what he thinks and what's going to be provocative. Every time we're worried about being too provocative, he looks at it as weakness. And right now he's cornered. Right now, because he has nowhere to go, he can't really travel. People know he got rich off the backs of the people, and he's in a war that is going to be very hard to win. Cut, cut eight. One of the things that was so discouraging from that Kremlin readout of Putin's call with Emmanuel Macron was he suggested that whatever happens at the negotiating table with the Ukrainians, he is absolutely determined to complete the goals of his so-called special military operation. And that suggests that the two sides can go and they can sit at the table together at Brest in Belarus. But there may not really be anything here to discuss if Vladimir Putin is absolutely determined to topple the Ukrainian government. And as you said, take the entire country. Yeah, uh, let's hope we don't let that happen where Europe does not let that happen. Don't forget, if you want to go to YouTube, Rick Prado from the CIA, that, that is posted. Go to YouTube. Check out our interview from yesterday. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, uh, we're coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Josh Rogan will be joining us, author of Chaos Under Heaven, uh, Trump, Xi, and the Battle for the 21st Century. And now he's also been focusing a lot on what's happening with Russia and Ukraine, so we appreciate that, as well as affects another area of his expertise, and that's China. Uh, he has been way ahead of the curve, even doing a great book on China before the pandemic, 
poisoned the world. And Admiral James Stravitas in a matter of moments. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Where do you stand? I'm, a, I'm all for that. Ban it. Ban the oil. Ban the oil coming from Russia. Yep. Wow, pretty amazing, right? Nancy Pelosi and Lindsey Graham and Elizabeth Warren agree. Stop buying Russian oil and financing Putin's war of choice. Guess who chooses to keep buying? For now, President Biden. Number two. This is not the Cold War. This is a madman with nukes. And so I think we really need to think through what are the pathways we have left. One, connecting with the Russian people. I think they're they're our best hope, really, to put pressure on Putin and the regime to de-escalate this. And the second one is oligarchs. Yes, we've just sanctioned tons of them, but none of them are going to be happy about going back home after losing a fortune. Right. Uh, That's Clint Watts, national security expert. Sanctions seem to be the only hope to stop Putin's war machine. What's been what's been done? And what needs to be done? And how are you going to round up all these oligarchs? Number one. We are fighting with Nazis. To all people who know the word Chernobyl, who knows how much grief and victims the explosion at the nuclear power plant brought, it was a global catastrophe. Russia wants to repeat this and is already repeating it. Uh, Wow. Uh, That is uh, Vladimir Putin's translator. Putin defiant. Zelensky unbowed. The Russian siege of, U- of Ukraine continues, and the refugees' disaster is overwhelming NATO nations, especially Poland. How much death and destruction will the West sit back and just watch as the inept or just pure evil Russian forces nearly blow up a massive nuclear power plant? Let me bring in Admiral James Stravitas on that. Admiral, what are your thoughts when you heard about uh, some of the ordnance that, that hit the nuclear uh, reactor? I got two words for you, Brian. War crime. And it's time that we started using those words at every level in the U.S. government, at every level in all of our allied governments. Uh, Vladimir Putin needs to understand in very direct ways that his forces are committing war crimes under his guidance and direction. And, of course, he's done this before, most recently in Syria, supporting another war criminal, Bashar al-Assad. But we're at a new level here. I mean, these are indiscriminate attacks against civilian residences, apartment buildings, attacks against critical infrastructure, nuclear power plants, and uh, by all accounts, a whole series of directed, targeted assassination attempts. These are war crimes what are called for what they are. So the Russians are saying, well, you give helmets to civilians, so they're all targets. That's total BS at every level. And uh, you know that, I know that, and the Russians know that. What we are doing is providing defensive weapons. That some of them are lethal, and they ought to be, but there is nothing we're providing the Ukrainians that would allow them to invade Russia, which is the crazy Russian narrative that Vladimir Putin is inflicting on his people while he shuts them out of the real world of information. And as a result, his troops think they're on exercises half the time. They're uh, pathetic and scared, uh, but they have overwhelming military might, and they're using it uh, to conduct this series of destructive campaigns inside Ukraine. There is nothing the United States is doing or our allies in terms of providing defensive but lethal weapons and support to the Ukrainians. Nothing illegal about it. Well, I just want you to hear this. This this sound is just in. Vladimir Putin spoke today about those people accusing, uh, like us, 
accusing him of war crimes. We have no bad intentions towards our neighbors, and I would like to advise them not to escalate this situation, not to stir things up, not to introduce any restrictions, because we fulfill all our obligations and we will keep on doing that. We see no need to worsen our relations or to escalate the situation, and everything we do, we only do as a response to some unfriendly actions towards the Russian Federation, and I think that everyone should think about how to work normally, how to cooperate in a normal way, in a regular way. All right, way. I get it. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> no, there's more inaccuracies in those statements. I didn't do anything. Oh I just invaded a country. Why are you guys so angry? It's unbelievable. Um, everything Vladimir Putin has done is built on a, a house of lies. And uh, that's been true for his entire career, going back to his days as a KGB lieutenant colonel. But most recently, Brian, we can all remember a month ago hearing Vladimir Putin, Sergei Lavrov, uh, Shoigu, the defense minister, all of them saying, oh, we're never going to invade Ukraine. We would never do that. Well, here we are. And the lies just continue. And this uh, clip that you just read is yet another version. He's trying to scare us. He's trying to bluff us. He's going to continue to prattle on about nuclear weapons. We just need to do the massive sanctions, arm the Ukrainian military today, and if necessary, if Ukraine falls, arm a resistance. That Admiral, is uh, the path forward. Admiral, I want to, you have so many areas of expertise, but of course the, the Open Seas, your book, The Sailor's Bookshelf, is out, 50 Books to Know the Sea. Warships are outside Odessa. I don't know if you've been to Odessa. Could you give us an idea sure. of what it's like, why everybody wants it? They call it, I, I guess, the Pearl of the Black Sea. And why do you think the Russians haven't taken it yet? Um, it, I have been all over Ukraine multiple times. Ukraine, while not a formal NATO ally, was a close friend and partner to, to NATO when I was Supreme Allied Commander. They deployed troops under my command to Afghanistan. I visited uh, several times, and I've been to every part of Ukraine, including Odessa. Odessa is a critical strategic port. Um, number one, it commands the northern stretches of the Black Sea. Number two, ownership of that entire coastline, Brian, would give Russia a claim to 200 miles stretching into the Black Sea for oil and gas exploitation. And number three, in this military campaign, it represents a way for Russia to get behind the defensive lines of Ukraine, like the U.S. did, for example, in Korea at the Incheon landings. The reason they have not taken it so far, same reason that their convoy is bogged down, same reason a lot of their troops aren't getting fed. It's bad logistics. It's underestimating Ukrainian resistance. Um, having said all that, they're bringing more and more combat power to bear. I fear that Odessa will fall in the days ahead. Can Turkey play, have Turkey decided to honor that doctrine signed uh, years ago? Uh, that would have cooperation with the Ukraine when it came to the Black Sea? I know the Russians, to a degree, were yes. asking for permission. Yes, uh, the Turks have activated what's called the Montreux Treaty, which is uh, gives the Turks control over access to and from uh, the Black Sea 
during periods of hostility involving warships. And as a result of that, they are denying the Russians the opportunity to send more ships into the Black Sea. That sounds good, and I suppose it is. But the problem is the Russia the Russians already have a very significant Black Sea fleet that was there at the start of this. So uh, the Turks shutting it down, um, the wolf is already in the hen house, if you will, in the form of that Black Sea fleet. I don't think it's going to have significant impact on the hostilities. Is there any way without visuals you could explain roughly what the what the war plan seems to be for the for the Russians? I can. Most uh, of our listeners will know the map of the United States. So think about a a tank column coming down from Canada that is seeking to encircle Chicago. Uh, Think about uh, a a thrust coming from uh, roughly Philadelphia, another one coming from roughly Charleston, South Carolina, and then a third one coming up from the Delta, the New Orleans Delta. And by the way, the first city to fall could be thought of as the New Orleans of Ukraine. It's on both the Dedipa River, much like the Mississippi River, a massive river that cuts north-south through Ukraine and is also on the Black Sea coast. So four axes principally bogged down at first. They are gaining momentum now. Um, The Gulf of Mexico, think of that as the Black Sea. That's where the action is going to be on the naval side. And the Ukrainians are fighting like hell. And ultimately, Brian, they're going to retreat across, if you will, um, in our analogy, across the plains and end up in San Francisco, which would be the Lviv, if you will, the far western major city. They'll set up a government there. They'll use that strategic depth and try and continue to hold off as long as they can. And they'll be backed up to Poland in that region where they'll have an ally perhaps. But you think they could be giving up the capital and getting out of those subways instead of if they're given a corridor? I think, unfortunately, um, the noose that is surrounding uh, Kiev, uh, roughly in the position of Chicago in our analogy, is tightening. And as a result... Above all, our interest, the West, NATO, the U.S., is that Zelensky get out. He's become a formidable symbol of resolve and resistance. He needs to get out and get out fairly soon. We do not want him to be trapped in that city as much as he wants to be with his people and be in the capital. To shift analogies, this would be as though Churchill in the Second World War, to whom I've compared Zelensky, this would be as though Churchill was faced with the awful decision of leaving London. But he had plans to do so. He was going to go to Canada and continue the fight from there. Fortunately, the Brits were able to turn the Battle of Britain. I don't think the Battle of Ukraine is going to turn out as well for the Ukrainians. I want you to hear what Zelensky said yesterday uh, about when asked about uh, the president, President Biden. If I I spoke with Biden, President Biden, yes, I think yesterday or day before yesterday, I don't remember. And uh, we have good contact. I can tell the truth. And it's a pity that it began after the beginning of this war. I was struck by that because we had so much build up. I thought it was a real good move for the administration because it ended up being true about being transparent about the intelligence and the false flags. Why weren't we rushing weapons in that would have helped them survive? I don't know the answer to that, Brian, and I think when the history books are written on this, that is 
something the administration is going to have to explain. And frankly, as we know now, the intelligence community has been warning of this for a year or two. And let's face it, it goes back to the Trump administration and their delays in arming the Ukrainians over some incidents that are pretty well known. So I think this is something both the Biden administration and the Trump administration are going to have to answer for is why we didn't get more weapons to Ukraine earlier than we have. But I would say that we were bought, uh, Barack Obama gave him blankets and meals. The, yeah. the, uh, the Stinger missiles and the Javelins came from Trump. Even that though, is a fair comment, yeah. um, despite some speed bumps along the way that you and I both know of. We, we ended up in impeachment as Rudy Giuliani uh, traipses across the country looking for uh, evidence of Hunter <laughs> Biden. Believe me, I understand it. We were tortured with yeah. that for a year. The country was. Uh, so General yeah. Jack Keane said something to me today, and he said it last night. He said, I don't know exactly how to get weapons in there, but I know there's creative people in the Pentagon that have to come up yes. with different ways to get, besides the traditional ways, to get weapons in throughout every conflict. There are ways. Admiral, from the people that you know, forget the president saying yes or no to it yet. Can they come up with creative ways to present to the president options? Hell yes. And they are doing it. And oh, by the way, it's not just the clever people in the Pentagon. This is why we have the Central Intelligence Agency. It's the clever people at Langley who are going to come up with the best set of options for the president. He'll be getting both of those. And oh, by the way, Brian, as we should, we talk about this from a U.S. perspective, but believe me, the Brits, the French, even the Germans are thinking all of this through. And the Ukrainians have no more stauncher ally than the Poles, who are right there on the border. Um, there's a lot of cavalry coming. And can we do it creatively and smartly and get it across Ukraine? You bet we can. Uh, our, our best minds are on that problem right now. Are you? Uh, I am not um, actively advising in a tactical sense. I'm having some conversations at the strategic level that I hope will be helpful. I feel better if you were. And lastly, (laughs) uh, just civilian uh, uh, noticing this who hasn't served in the military. But when I heard that the Poles were getting these MiGs and the the Ukrainian Uh, pilots were on their way to Poland to go get these planes, I could not believe what great news it was. And it got stopped by NATO. What happened? Yep. I I am actively seeking to understand that. Uh, The best answer I have so far, with which I completely disagree, is that it was regarded as too provocative an act. You know, my response to that is too provocative compared to invading a country, attacking the civilian population, trying to destroy a nuclear reactor. That's what provocative looks like. So I hope NATO revisits that. And Brian, uh, today, the NATO uh, foreign ministers are gathered in Brussels. I would look for that one to turn around, to be honest with you. And I agree with you. Uh, Potentially, that is a very significant aspect to a Ukrainian military response and ultimately a Ukrainian resistance. And that, we ought to get yeah. those MiGs in the hands of the Ukrainian pilots. And the 40-mile, yeah, the 40-mile caravan would be vaporized, I imagine, oh, pretty boy. quickly. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, boy. Admiral, I, I uh, need all your expertise. Thanks so much. I'm so glad you're able to do radio with us. And uh, pick up you his bet. pick up his book, Sailor's Bookshelf, 50 Books to Know the Sea. And his 2034 uh, book is still great, a novel of the next world war, which we might be in the beginning of. Thanks so much, Admiral. 
Thanks, Brian. Talk soon. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls. And then uh, one of the best reporters in the country, great columnist, too, and, and authors, Josh Rogan, will join us at the bottom of the hour from the Washington Post. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Right now, we're trying to impose restrictions on Russia that Russia will feel painful restrictions in response to their invasion of Ukraine and their indiscriminate bombing of civilian targets. Um, So I think that means it should all be on the table, including banning the import of Russian oil, not just here in the United States, but among all of the nations. How astounding is that, that you have Senator Lindsey Graham saying with Elizabeth Warren saying what the problem is that Elizabeth Warren's not going to say. And I think we should drill more at home where any clear thinking American like Joe Manchin, Democrat, would say, yeah, we're going to keep drilling. Let's uh, drill at home to make up the difference, because we are, even though it's only 7 percent of our total purchases, uh, we are their number one customer. Here's Jen Psaki on that. Cut 31. As long as we're buying Russian oil, though, aren't we financing the war? Well, Jackie, again, uh, it's only about 10 percent of what we're importing. Uh, I've not made any announcement about any decision on that front. But our objective here and our focus is making sure that any step we take maximizes the impact on President Putin and minimizes it on the American people. And anyone who's calling for uh, an end to the carve out uh, should be clear that that would rise, raise prices. Uh, raise prices by what? If it's only 7%, but at least we'd be free of financing their war. And I have a question for you. Tom Cotton gave this to me. How the hell did the Russian delegation get to Vienna to do with, deal with us on the Iranian deal? They shouldn't be flying anywhere, and we should not be at the same table with them, period. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. one 866 Kind of interesting. Admiral Stavrida said that uh, Zelensky's got to get out of there soon, out of Kiev soon, and get to leave. Uh, uh, leave. And that was that is up to the north, to the left, close to the Polish border, which has been very, relatively quiet so far. And that is far away from the Russian-speaking portion, the heavily Russian-speaking portion of the country, I understand. He says that'll be a place that he could stage the insurgency and we could get uh, arms to him quicker. And get, kind of get everybody out of there. I don't know if that would be effective. I don't think they're at that moment. But Zelensky being killed would be so detrimental to world peace. I'm telling you. And, of course, to him, he's become a global figure, uh, universally uh, I uh, uh, looked up to. And for him to lose his life that many in Washington expected to happen already. There's been three hit squads sent over and stopped and killed in one case. I don't know about what happened to the other two. Uh, but Zelensky's still around. And he's still giving press conferences. Uh, in fact, Vladimir Putin gave one again this morning. But the big question is, what are we going to do to stop it? If we're not going to use our troops and our people, even though Zelensky says, if you're a foreign fighter and want to come and fight, we need you. And I'm sure Americans going to show up there and learn and teach people how to fight. But when he shows up there, although the, the will and the heart is certainly 
the will in the heart is certainly with the Ukrainian people. Uh, the week we could do on the sidelines is put massive economic pressure on the oligarchs as well as on the economy. Mark Thiessen weighed in and said, we just got to ban the Russian oil. And for those people say it's just 7% of what we import, you're right. But what if I told you that 7% was 670 million barrels a day? Cut 41. I never thought I'd say this wor- these words on your show. Mr. President, listen to Nancy Pelosi. Every barrel of Russian oil that we buy comes with r- Ukrainian blood on it. They're, they're, and, and what the president needs to say to, the, to his party and to the, to the uh, climate change caucus in his party is, yes, we have to save the planet, but first we have to save Ukraine. And we can't do that while cracking down on domestic production of oil like we've done for the last year. And we can't. I mean, what people don't understand and what they're coming around to and I, I, I don't know who said this because I've listened to so much. But this is a war because of the green new green deal, because everyone's trying to get off oil and gas, because you have get the, the elimination of nuclear energy after uh, people got really spooked about what happened in Japan when they got hit by that, uh, that massive tidal wave. And they saw the damage the uh, nuclear reactors went through because it was damaged by the, the ocean wave and the ocean water. That's what happened in Japan and, and in France and in Germany. So let's get rid of that. And in the meantime, as we try to green our economy with wind and solar, which is so expensive and so ineffective, at this point, we can't use it. We have to go get oil and gas. And we were getting it from Nord Stream 1, uh, which is Russia, and they were about to get Nord Stream 2. So we have to quickly get over this. Cut 42. Oh, Josh is here? Okay, great. Uh, Josh Rogan, uh, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Great to be back with you, Brian. Hey, uh, Josh, you're a busy guy. You're not just focusing <laughs> on China. You're focusing on everything along with your book coming out on paperback and your Washington Post column, and as, as well as uh, the podcast you're on. Uh, first off, uh, I loved your column today talking about Kharkiv and the mayor. They've been shelled, what, for three straight days at least? Uh, they've been uh, A lot of their energy has been shut off, but the mayor vows to do what? Right, Brian. Well, I spoke to the mayor of Kharkiv from his bunker And he vowed that the city will not give up, that the army will not give up a fight to the last man. And he would appreciate it if we could stop uh, uh, futzing around with sanctions and on oligarchs yachts and actually give him some weapons and some food and some medicine and some first aid equipment for his first responders and some heavy weaponry so that they might actually uh, survive and save their city from Shelling, bombing, missiles, rockets, cluster bombs, and an onslaught of hundreds of uh, heavy vehicles that are squeezing and encircling the city like a boa constrictor. He's in a desperate situation, but he's projecting confidence because his people are fighting alongside of him. And, uh, you know, it's just shocking when you talk to people on the ground in Ukraine fighting for their lives, how disconnected that is from our discussion in Washington about sanctions on oligarch boats, which is nonsense when you think about actually doing something that could uh, change the course of this war and maybe save this country from Putin's aggression. So, uh, you know, what's pretty amazing is that we had the biggest buildup, the biggest windup in the history of conflicts for this. And we remember in 2000, we famously on President Obama, let's not, let's not provoke, I want to reset that relationship, let's not provoke uh, the Russians by giving uh, the Ukrainians anything besides blankets and MREs. And then Trump came in and gave them some lethal weapons, but obviously there's some chicanery going on that resulted in the impeachment. But all tight, what a mess. And then the a shipment, I understand, was coming into Odessa and was turned around on the transition of power 
with uh, President Biden. I don't understand. If you're going to telegraph a war and a conflict like we did, and I think that's a good move, why wouldn't you at least get arms in there? How do you rationalize not getting arms in there at a great rate? Right. No, you're totally right, Brian. Well, there will be plenty of time to look back at all the mistakes we made. And the most urgent thing is to help the Ukrainians fighting now. Uh, let's take a minute and look back at the mistakes we made because they're they're egregious. And I say that three administrations in a row have failed to, to give the Ukrainian people the respect, the money and the arms that they need to build their fragile democracy without signaling to Vladimir Putin that he should attack them. It did start with uh, President Obama in 2009. If you remember 2008, when Putin invaded Georgia, George W. Bush, to his credit, parked U.S. Air Force planes on the ground in Tbilisi and dared the, Putin to attack in them, and Putin backed down because the only thing Putin understands is security risk and re- reward. He understands the use of power, not the threat of sanctions in some future world where he doesn't even care about the people who are getting sanctioned. So in 2009, Obama came in with a reset. Uh, it, then Putin got the message. He attacked in 2014 took part of Ukraine, no real consequences, he got the message. And here we are in 2022, and we're wondering, why why does he think he can do this without the world responding? Well, I was in the Munich Security Conference, Brian, three weeks ago, with all the Europeans saying, oh, no, he would never do this, we can't give... I'm going to break some news on your show right now. I, I have reporting that the National Security Council officials told The Hill in December that they didn't want to give stingers to the Ukrainians because they couldn't handle them, they couldn't absorb them, they wouldn't know what to do with them. And here we are, what, a a couple of weeks into this war, and all of a sudden everyone's found religion on helping the Ukrainians, and it's almost too late. It's uh, atrocious. We fail to understand that Putin, like all dictators, uh, the appetite grows with the eating. And we fail to understand that when freedom and democracy retreats in the world, in places like Hong Kong and Afghanistan, just for two examples, autocracy fills the void. And we fail to understand that while Americans are rightfully weary of American interventionalism abroad and rightfully skeptical of the U.S. government's ability to do things abroad, uh, as it turns out, the alternative is worse because that's when the dictators come in and blow everything to smithereens. And we're just going to have to come back and clean it up later. So do you mean additional stingers? Because I thought there were already stingers on the ground. At that point, uh, you mean number one? Uh, what I'm saying yeah. is that. In the, it, as you pointed out, this buildup took months and months and months, and I and many of us in Washington and around the world watched the Biden administration get dragged to, tooth and nail, you know, bit by bit into doing the right thing. And first they got embarrassed by the Brits who provided weapons before they did. Uh, even the intelligence disclosures, they were following uh, London on that. Then they were trying to sync up with the Germans and the French who it, until the very last minute didn't want to give the Ukrainians anything really to defend themselves. The Stingers is one example. My reporting again is that there was a reluctance to provide them with Stingers as late as December. And now they're speeding hundreds of, they were giving them javelins and toes and other things. But the Stingers just for one example. And those are the things that actually protect the areas because those are the things that kill Russian planes. But if you put that into the context, into the pattern of the Biden administration, oh, well, we'll sanction this oligarch, but not that oligarch. We'll sanction this bank, but not that bank. They still won't sanction the Russian energy sector, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it because we're trying to uh, force Putin to empty his coffers, and then we're paying him money to refill them by buying his oil at the same time. It's crazy, Brian. And this is because, well, we're... We're, we, we don't want to provoke him? Is that, is it, I think that ship has sailed, frankly. I do, too. And I think one thing is pretty clear. We're trying to judge Vladimir Putin on Western values. And we're trying to pretend as if he's playing a, a fair game. 
And I just think the best example of that is what happened with those MiGs that were supposed to be delivered, even though they were older, to Poland and be part of the Air Force, maybe the only part of the Air Force for uh, for the Ukrainians. And at the last minute, NATO pulled it back. They thought it was going to be too provocative. Right. We're going in this crazy cycle where we have to clear everything that we do with 27 other European countries for the sake of unity that never really existed in the first place. And all that does is result in a policy that's the lowest common denominator. We are only going to give them the things that 30 countries agree on. No, 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 no. We have to give them the things that they say they need. And again, if you talk to the Ukrainians, if you bother to, and trust me, they want to talk. They're trying to talk to us. They're begging us for stuff. What they say they need is very specific. Armed drones, fighter planes, javelins, anti-armored tow missiles, stingers, munitions, helmets, uh, bandages, food, medicine. You know, uh, it, like the the list is endless. They also need economic support. They need financial support. They can't really collect taxes right now. They can't really pay the garbage, you know, removal people right now. So they need a lot of things that we're just not giving them while we're celebrating that some billionaire jerk got his uh, yacht taken in the monaco or you know it's 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 an alibi and you know sanctions are not gonna do it it has to be a mix of all of the use of uh, american power and and just to agree with what you said up front yes putin is a totalitarian expansionist aggressive dictator we fooled ourselves for a long time into thinking that he could be coerced or convinced or uh, bribed into joining the community of uh, free and open societies and pushing his country towards more freedom and democracy He's not. It's not happening. By the way, it's not happening in China either. So this should have woken up all of those people in our discourse who think that these are not threats that we have to deal with. This should have woken up pe- people in our discourse who believe that uh, we were the history was over and that you know all we had to do was uh, strike a couple of deals and that Russia and China would join us in a Pax Americana or whatever nonsense we've been telling us ourselves since the end of the Cold War. History didn't end. Autocracy didn't stop. And uh, unfortunately. Uh, it, there's no one else to lead the world uh, to fight it except for us, and I wish we would get in the game a little bit more. I would too, and it must be. Uh, in Munich, was there any country that really understood the urgency before Zelensky, of course, showed up himself, which was, took risk. It was risky too. Was there anybody that you said, wow, this country seems to get it? Yes, the Estonians, the Latvians, the Lithuanians, to an extent the Poles. No, the ones, the, one, the ones next to Russia, all right? the ones who used to be invaded and controlled by Russia, who understand what Putin is, who understand the, the revisionist vision that he has for the world, who understand that they, it's very, democracy, freedom isn't free and democracy is fragile and that if you signal to Putin that he can bomb a country to smithereens and not pay a price, that's exactly what he's going to do. So, yeah, the Eastern Europe – but, you know, you go to these things in Munich. It's always the Germanys and the Frances uh, that uh, think they're so special and they run all the events and they look down on the Eastern Europeans. Zelensky got up and said, hey, guys uh, – you guys are whistling past the graveyard and this is going to be really bad and we wish you would wake up. And they were like, oh, that was so rude. You know, they, 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 they don't they were they were they were fooling themselves. Even the U.S. administration the Biden administration in Munich was fooling themselves into thinking everything was going to be OK. And now they're scrambling. OK, the only silver lining of this whole thing is that all of a sudden Europeans realize that American world led world order is better than the alternative. Okay, it's not that we're perfect. It's not that we do everything right in history. It's not that we have unlimited resources. But the alternative to the system that we built is this. It looks like Syria. It looks like Grozny. It's a North Korea in the middle of Europe. That's what we're about to see if we don't get our act together and quick. Josh, I think the things that changed is, number one, Zelensky can communicate. 
his guy really is selling his story. And the composure he has under pressure, some obviously we didn't see at Gahani. We still haven't found Gahani. He left. So when things got tough, he got better. He shamed the world leaders into backing him. And when Berlin hosted 500,000 protesters in support of Ukraine, they made their leaders change their policy. 40 happened uh, the first weekend in, uh, in America. We saw it in Paris. We saw it all around. The Western leaders had to be embarrassed to changing policies by their people and by a fearless leader who uh, demanded respect by his actions. Do you agree? Yeah, no, absolutely. He showed that freedom is worth fighting for, even sometimes worth dying for. And, you know, and that that is what they didn't have in Syria. They didn't have a democratic leadership and a courageous leader to to, to fight the Russians. And they ended up getting killed by the Russians for set, for 12 years getting it ongoing. So, yeah, that's that's an asset that the Ukrainians have. It's always easier to fight for something that you believe in than to fight for an evil dictator who sends his people into Ukraine to be cannon fodder. So that's that's their advantage. But I'm just a little bit more skeptical than you that the world really has woken up because why didn't we send those 70 fighter planes? Oh, because Putin threatened those countries with economic uh, punishment and they acted in their own interest, not in the inter- not in the enlightened self-interest of the free and democratic world. So, I, I, yeah, we moved the, the world. The history has changed. right? The, the whole world has changed in the last two weeks, but we're still not giving the Ukrainians the things that they need. We're still pretending that we're putting pressure on Putin again by – Sanctioning oligarchs yachts and not the energy sector of Russia, which is how he makes all of his money in the first place. I mean, it's not serious. I'm not saying that we should go to World War Three. I'm not saying that we should put American troops in harm's way. I'm just saying if we're not going to give a no fly zone because there's no political appetite for it and Biden doesn't want to do it or whatever, then let's do all the economic stuff and not piecemeal it out while these people are literally being shelled to death with cluster bombs. It's insane. We've got 90 seconds left. Josh, you also have an expertise on China. China has their own SWIFT system, which they're going to offer uh, to give to, uh, you know, to be a part of with Russia. Overall, do you think China has been that big backstop and that big savior for Russia that many thought they would be? Absolutely. There's this crazy notion inside the Biden administration around Washington that somehow China can be a a broker or a a diplomatic uh, constructive actor in this Ukraine crisis. And it's totally wrong. China is a co-conspirator. Okay, they've underwritten the invasion literally by buying all of the oil and gas that even though we won't sanction it western private companies no longer will deal with uh they roped putin into uh (coughs) endorsing their vision for a chinese-led world order in beijing during the olympics and then uh they've done everything they can to convince their people that uh that it's ukraine's fault not putin's fault that it's actually a fight against the united states and their propaganda is aligned their interests are aligned their best frenemies, and that's the way it's going to be, and we just have to deal with it. Josh, always fascinating talking to you uh, because you you get the sources, you you break the stories, you move the you move the story forward. Thanks so much, Josh. Anytime, appreciate it. Uh, in this fast movie time, I feel this frustration. I think it's your frustration too. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You may not have noticed this week, but almost all the limitations are coming off our lives. When people talk about vaccine cards, depending on the city you're in, you might not even need one. Depending on the city you're in, the school you go to, you probably don't need a mask. 
You saw what Governor DeSantis did say uh, when he walked up to the podium in what seemed to be a school. He walked up there, looked behind, and it looked to be a bunch of 10th and 11th graders and said, guys, take the masks off. You can leave them on if you want, but they don't do any good. And then he talked more about it, and he's 100% right. It's what we've been saying for two years. His numbers are better than almost every other state's numbers in terms of density and population. And he wasn't sitting there demanding every 5-year-old or 15-year-old wear a mask. If you're 85-plus, you can do it. But we're going to find out later he was 100% right. People are saying, hey, Governor DeSantis, don't be a bully to these kids. He wasn't. He was treating them like he a, a coach. Guys. I don't know. It's not your fault. I know what people have been telling you, but they don't work. You don't have to wear them. Stand behind me. Have yourself in the picture without a mask on so people always know uh, you were able to stand up through this pandemic. I think it's great. I think that overall we're going to see a turning of events. And guess who's upset about it? Anthony Fauci. He says we're rushing getting rid of the restrictions. No, we've held it on way too long and listened to you way too much. Keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Make sure you watch One Nation at 8 and 11 o'clock that Saturday. Uh, on Fox News. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. At the bottom of the hour, Senator Lindsey Graham will be with us. You know, he called out and basically called for a Brutus to kill Vladimir Putin. The ambassador, the Russian ambassador, was demanding an explanation. And Lindsey Graham said, he's a terrorist. He's killing people uh, indiscriminately, women and children. That's exactly what I'd like to see happen. Uh, Chris Christie is also standing by. We're watching uh, ongoing events over in the Ukraine where things are really heating up in the capital city. We're hearing the sirens going off. Uh, as we see that the Russian strategy clearly seems to be to lock up the ocean front. Uh, and it's not for the real estate. It's for the access. It's the access to the ports to shut off uh, the capital uh, from the sea, from the Black Sea. With me right now is Governor Chris Christie, obviously watching all this. Uh, and he has a book out that's still doing well, Republican Rescue, saving the party from truth deniers, conspiracy theorists, and the dangerous policies of Joe Biden. Uh, Governor, welcome back. Happy to be back, Brian. Fascinating to see that Josh Rogan was over at the Munich conference of the Washington Post, and he said that there really wasn't many people outside the smaller Baltic countries that were taking this whole threat seriously by the Russians. Now they are. Why? What took so long? Well, look, it's a lack of leadership on our part to start with, Brian, out of the White House. I mean, you know, people would have taken it seriously if we were doing what we should have been doing from the time Joe Biden got into office, which was to arm the Ukrainians. You know, uh, President Zelensky was begging for it. Joe Biden cut off arms uh, to the the Ukrainians. And I think the rest of the world looks at it and says, well, you know, if the Americans don't think it's serious enough to arm the Ukrainians, why should we think it's that serious? Um, A a complete lack of of spine by the president um, and a lack of judgment. But let's face it, this is the guy who Robert Gates the former defense secretary said has been, uh, that Biden has been wrong on every major foreign policy issue for the last 40 years, and that streak is intact. Uh, and he, at, at very least, uh, even his, his great, greatest supporter has to say he's slow. I mean, he was uh, 
the Europe has led on this. And to Europe's credit, they at least have come around in a way I didn't think was possible. Germany, from I'm only going to give you helmets to now I'm going to give you uh, $700 million, uh, billion do- million dollars worth of lethal aid. And they're going to let their land and let the Baltic nations use their land. It was something about the people, Governor, and I find this heartening. The people in Berlin, the people in Paris, the people in America in 40 different states, and Zelensky himself that forced the Western world to act. Don't you agree? I absolutely agree. And this is where American leadership is indispensable, Brian. And, and you know, we, in terms of making sure that we do it quickly enough, the rest of the world waits to see our signal. They waited and waited, and finally they couldn't wait any longer. And so... This is why Joe Biden is such a failure as president in foreign policy. Um, he, he, when he makes decisions, he makes the wrong ones, like the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And when he hesitates, he shouldn't be hesitating. This guy should be like George Costanza on the old Seinfeld and just start doing the opposite of whatever he thinks he should do. And he'd probably be right. Very interesting. So of all people... When it comes to getting Russian oil, people keep pointing out that we only get 7% of our oil from Russia, but they forget that we're their number one customer, 650 million barrels a day from Russia. How can you morally, let alone economically, say you're doing everything possible to crack down on Russia and still do that? Here's what Nancy Pelosi said to that. Cut 35. Where do you stand? I'm all for that. Ban it. Ban the oil. Ban the oil coming from Russia. Yep. Ban the oil. Joe Manchin, cut 34. Energy has been weaponized. We have the ability to basically counter that weapon. The United States of America in 2019 was producing 12 million barrels a day. We have no problem at all ramping back up. And how the president reacts? Cut 36. Speaker Pelosi says Russian oil should be banned. Why not do it now? Will sanctions be enough? Thank you. Guys, out the door. Let's go. Thank you. Will you ban Russian oil? Let's go. He said no. Let's go. Whatever you say about President Trump, and people say a lot, he would never back away from that and look down on in the middle of a war and not answer the question. Look, Brian, here's the bottom line. Let's just take North Dakota alone. In North Dakota, in January of 2020, they were producing 1.5 million barrels of oil a day. 1.5 million barrels of oil a day. And... Now, because of Joe Biden's preventing them from taking oil from federal lands, they're down to a million barrels a day. Well, that 500,000 barrels a day could replace what we're taking from Russia. So Joe Biden's saying, I'd rather pay the butcher, Putin, to have money to murder Ukrainians than I would take oil out of the ground in North Dakota. It is so obscene that even Nancy Pelosi gets it. And Joe Biden doesn't. And the reason he doesn't is because he's a captive of the extreme environmental left of the George Soros crowd and the John Kerry crowd. Imagine John Kerry's quote last week, Brian. He said the biggest tragedy about Ukraine is it's slowing our efforts on global warming. I mean, these people are crazy. And the president of the United States, how he doesn't answer that question, Brian, because he can't look the American people in the eye and say, it's better to buy oil from Putin than it is to give Governor Burgum in North Dakota the go-ahead to ramp back up to 1.5 million barrels a day. State of the Union address, the president said, buy American. The president said, De- uh, fund the police, not defund the police. Uh, he seems to have, didn't address a lot, 
he seems to start adopting some Republican staples that were part of a previous administration. Did you notice that? Yeah, well, when you're at 37% job approval and falling, um, you're grabbed for any branch you can to break your fall, right? Look, I think what everybody's got a question um, when you look at the speech Tuesday night is, is the president up to leading? I mean, he had trouble reading the teleprompter, Brian. I mean, it, it, and, and if you're Putin sitting in Moscow watching that, are you intimidated by Joe Biden? Did he convey a sense of strength, of being in control, of being an authority on Tuesday night? I'd say he did not. And I think any objective observer would agree. Well, nobody in your former channel that used to employ you, I think, MSNBC, they thought he was brilliant. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and so did most of the people at CNN. They thought he was forceful and direct and showed great leadership. Yeah, well, because they they live in an alternate universe. But let's be clear, I never worked for MSNBC. Um, but, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, Brian, that those guys, you know, if wishing could make it so, it would be so. But the American people saw what they saw on Tuesday night with their own eyes. And they know that this is a president who's not in charge. And, quite frankly, Vladimir Putin's actions have shown that he doesn't believe that we have a strong American president. Yeah. I, by the way, I got to get a better look at your resume. I thought it said MSNBC on there. I don't know if you were inflating your resume and I saw it and you have since adjusted it. I'm going to have to see if I'm wrong or you're wrong. I guess I was if wrong. I was gonna, if I was going to inflate my resume, it would not be with MSNBC. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, that. So I want you to hear what just Josh Rogan told us a while ago because he hadn't told anybody else. He went to Munich and, the, and he's this guy works for The Washington Post and his CNN. Uh, listen to this. I have reporting that the National Security Council officials told The Hill in December that they didn't want to give stingers to the Ukrainians because they couldn't handle them, they couldn't absorb them, they wouldn't know what to do with them. And here we are, what, a, a couple of weeks into this war, and all of a sudden everyone's found religion on helping the Ukrainians, and it's almost too late. It's a, atrocious. We fail to understand that Putin, like all dictators, the appetite grows with the eating. And we fail to understand that when Freedom and democracy retreats in the world in places like Hong Kong and Afghanistan, just for two examples. Autocracy fills the void. And we fail to understand that while Americans are rightfully weary of American interventionalism abroad and rightfully skeptical of the U.S. government's ability to do things abroad, as it turns out, the alternative is worse, because that's when the dictators come in and blow everything to smithereens, and we're just going to have to come back and clean it up later. So the National Security Council was not going to give them stings because they can't handle them. Is that unbelievable? It's completely unbelievable and untrue. We get we gave Bin Laden things in the eighties. Bin Laden and his uh, Al Qaeda guys. Charlie Wilson's yep. war. Yep, and I and I and it's it's completely not credible. It's a lie, is what it is. And and the fact is that Joe Biden simply did not want to offend the Russians. He didn't want to arm the Ukrainians. He didn't see it as a priority. And now with Russian tanks and armament and missiles raining down terror and death on people all over Ukraine. Now, all of a sudden, he's getting religion. And for every one of those people who dies over there, they recognize that they could have been defended if America would have given them the weapons they needed to defend themselves. They're not asking us, Brian, to come over there and defend them. They're saying, give us the weapons and we will handle it. And when you look at how brave the Ukrainians have been, I think Joe Biden was wrong not to believe them. So... You know, we talked, and I'll just tell people off, uh, off camera, off mic, about having lunch. And it's, it hasn't happened yet. 
But, you know, we did. You did invite me to a baseball game, and I did go there, and that's better than a lunch, I would argue. But I still thought yes. at one point, and I check my phone every day, like when the show is about to come <laughs> to an end. I'll see. I'm wondering if you'll text because you know I get off at noon. And I find out that you're not only not inviting me to lunch, you're going to lunch with another former governor, Governor Cuomo. How did this come yes. off? Well, Governor Cuomo gave me a call and asked me to go to lunch. We've known each other for a long time. And uh, I was going to be in the city yesterday, so I met him for lunch. How'd it go? It went well. You know, I mean, look, we've known each other for 12 years now. We worked together for seven. Um, and so uh, it, was a, it was a lunch. It was purely social. Uh, we weren't there talking about business. We were there talking about our families and how life was going, and it was good to see him. Are you both running for office? <laughs> I have no I, I, I He certainly told me he wasn't running for anything. I know that. Um, and, and as for me, um, I'm not ready to retire yet, Brian, but I'm also not ready to make any announcements. Okay, but you're waiting for the midterms before you'll do anything? Yes, sir. Understood. Uh, Governor, uh, thanks. Are you going to be on uh, this week with George Stephanopoulos this week? I will, be, I will be on Sunday making sure that the conservative flag is represented on ABC on Sunday. Because I have news for you. When you're not on, no one even looks to put up that flag or unfold it or take it out of the drawer. No. Listen, I recognize I'm a unicorn over there, Brian. Um, And that's why last weekend um, I was away on a a long weekend with Mary Pat. So that's why I wasn't on. But fear not. I will be back on Sunday in the chair. And when do you like when if you were going to invite me to lunch, you give me a day's notice or is it that day? Is it a day of thing? Oh, no, no, no. For someone of your stature, with your stardom, I'd give you at least a week's notice. You give me a week's notice. This oh, way, yeah. this way, I could pick out an outfit. Absolutely, and I could wear the appropriate tie. All right, that's true. Listen, Governor, <laughs> I got to ask you one other thing. Uh, no one's talking about it because we're at war, but this whole baseball strike. What is your sense? I mean, we've already given up the first week of the season. As you know, you're on the the New York Mets board. What, what, is, what are people telling you? Look, I'm not hearing a whole lot more than what you're reading in the newspapers. Um, but what I'm concerned about is that both sides um, are making economic calculations that don't take into account um, the needs of the fans. You know, the fans have been through a very tough two years. A shortened season in 2020, a truncated 2021 season in terms of your ability to go to the ballpark. And we've got through a tough two years here. The American people need their baseball and I think that these both sides have to be cognizant of putting the fans first. And the actions that happened last week and are continuing to happen this week did not put the fans first. Absolutely. We got used to life without sports. Uh, so America can survive. And, and now you're telling us to get over it again. Real quick, I just, Eric Adams decided this, to remove the mask mandates. He's the mayor of New York City. For kids five and older, but keep it for kids two to four. I mean, I know no one has to tell you about the series of COVID-19. I know you have asthma and you had it. So, but two to four years old, keep those kids with masks? No, look, the mask mandate should be gone everywhere. And we are not at a stage of this understanding of the pandemic anymore where masks should be just not, and it should be gone. I'm glad that the mayor took it away from the places that he did, but he needs to go the full route. And, uh, and, And these kids at two to four years old wearing masks, we don't yet know the psychological impact and learning impact that's going to have on those children. But I bet you years from now we're going to be seeing a lot of studies about how this was a huge, huge mistake 
on children that young. I'm already hearing it from teachers. I've, I know quite a few elementary school teachers. They go, okay, that's a COVID kid. They got to teach him to spell again, teach him to communicate again, teach him to read. They're years, they are seriously behind. Uh, and it's not been, I don't care how great your parents are, this has been really detrimental to a whole generation. Oh, and it starts It starts right with the President of the United States, Brian. Oh. You see Joe Biden shaking every hand in the chamber yes. on Tuesday night. And then on Wednesday, he's back at some event with a mask on. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I don't get it. Like, then why weren't you wearing the mask Tuesday night? And why were you shaking every hand? This stuff is just out of hand. It's ridiculous. It's political correctness run amok. And it's time for America to get back to normal and get back to work. In fact, it's well over time. But don't worry. The president's got good backup. Here's Kamala Harris telling us all she knows about the war. If you're watching any level of news, even social media, you're seeing everything that's going on right now in the Ukraine. Break it down in layman's terms for people who don't understand what's going on and how can this directly affect the people of the United States. So Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. All right. I'm sorry, uh, Governor. I should have had you had your pen out to fully explain. Have you ever heard anything like that? Now I finally understand it. Thank <laughs> you so much. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, look, she has no business being vice president of the United States to begin with, given her background and experience, um, because, you know, this gives you the proof of it. The, the, even the White House does not take her seriously. I hear they don't you. give her serious things to do. Well, uh, Governor, always appreciate your time uh, and always telling it like it is. Governor Chris Christie, thank you. I can't wait. I I need my week notice. It'll be a week from today if I only get that text. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. China, over the last six years, has developed its own worldwide SWIFT system. It's called the Cross-World Interbank System. They are offering that to the Russians. So it softens one of the major sanctions on Russia. So that's interesting because, you know, we knocked, knocked them off to most of the SWIFT system, be able to transact, but not, not energy stocks, which is terrible. Uh, but they, you know, grain or whatever else they want to expedite or if you want to take out money, you can only pay $10,000 and a limiting amount of people that can do that. Martial law is about to be declared. Mike Pillsbury just says this is the negative side to kick him off the SWIFT system. It takes our enemies like Iran and, and, and China and Russia and says, okay, go deal with somebody else. Makes it really hard to track their money and to do deals with them, period. But if China's looking to rivals and rival us in every way, getting us off the dollar would be one of those key things. So that's something to keep your eye on. When we come back, Senator Lindsey Graham's got to be joining me. He's got a few, uh, few things to handle. Number one, he is going forward with a bipartisan push among senators and the United Kingdom in filing war crimes charges against Vladimir Putin and certain units of Vladimir Putin's army. So these generals shelling and killing women and children are not going to say, well, I was just following orders. They will be indicted, too. They tried this in the Balkans, and the U.K. is all for it. Hopefully a lot of Democrats will get behind it, and the president will sign it. Don't move.
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I have reporting that the National Security Council officials told The Hill in December that they didn't want to give stingers to the Ukrainians because they couldn't handle them, they couldn't absorb them, they wouldn't know what to do with them. And here we are, what, a, a couple of weeks into this war, and all of a sudden everyone's found religion on helping the Ukrainians, and it's almost too late. It's a, atrocious. We fail to understand that Putin, like all dictators, the appetite grows with the eating. And we fail to understand that when Freedom and democracy retreats in the world in places like Hong Kong and Afghanistan, just for two examples. Autocracy fills the void. And we fail to understand that while Americans are rightfully weary of American interventionalism abroad and rightfully skeptical of the U.S. government's ability to do things abroad, as it turns out, the alternative is worse, because that's when the dictators come in and blow everything to smithereens, and we're just going to have to come back and clean it up later. So how about that? And Josh Rogan, too, he was also at the Munich Security Conference, too, and he said that there still was a sense that this whole thing wasn't going to happen which is unbelievable because the president of the United States and his secretary of state were telling us it was going to happen. They were telegraphing this attack before, but in Munich, behind closed doors, they were not taking it seriously. They have since changed their tune. It might be too late. Senator Lindsey Graham always took it serious. He joins us now. Senator, what do you think about what you just heard from Josh Rogan? Did you hear that, too? Yeah, I was in Munich. So they had this strategy, Brian, of just sort of like uh, – you know, telling people all the bad things that could happen or would happen and thinking that would deter Putin. But behind the scenes, they were slow uh, and indecisive. I begged the Biden administration, along with Democrats, to hit Putin before the invasion, to go after his oil and gas sector before the invasion, to start crushing the ruble before he went into the Ukraine. But I was told that would be provocative. Uh, we were begging to get more arms into the Ukraine for months, knowing that this might be a possibility. At every turn, aggressive action was seen as provocative action. They miscalculated who Putin is and his ambitions. So here's where we're at today. If we could stop buying Russian oil and gas, not just the U.S., but the world writ large, it would crush the ruble, which would be a big blow to his ability to wage war, but he's never going to surrender. The only way this ends, I said it this morning, and I stand by it, is for the Russian people to stop the madness. That's hard to say, hard hard to do, easy to say, but the Russian people are going to suffer for a very long time because we can't let Putin destroy the Ukraine without consequence. So whether he goes to the dock as a war criminal, as Boris Johnson said, that would be a great outcome, but the, the Putin nightmare, the Putin killing machine needs to end, and I'm not calling for troops on the ground in the Ukraine. I'm not calling for an invasion of Russia by, by the West or the United States, but I am calling for the good people of Russia to stand up and end this sooner rather than later. So you want him uh, taken out, and who is going to do that if he secures himself and then declares martial law? Well, he would not be the first guy uh, that had his people turn on him. The Russian people are noble people. They have been stolen blind. Uh, Putin committed war crimes in Syria, barrel bombed Aleppo. Everybody complained, but nothing happened. He took the Crimea, and he got stronger. Uh, Biden miscalculated Putin. Putin 
is not crazy in this regard. He never went into Ukraine when Trump was president because he understood what Trump would do to him. He saw Biden as a weak guy. He sized Biden up, and he believes he can get away with it. The world is rallying to the Ukrainian people's side. That's great. We're wanting to, to supply them weapons. It's probably too little too late. Let's keep it going. The best thing we can do is hold Putin and his inner circle accountable as war criminals, make a case against Putin and the generals carrying out this, these war crimes uh, in The Hague at the International Criminal Court, name names, uh, let units be identified as war criminal units, and make a pledge to each other that we're going to pursue justice in the court system. However, millions or thousands are going to die before we get there. The best way for this to end is for the people in Russia, as people throughout history have done, is to take this guy down. Well, right now, uh, you want to put charges against him in criminal court at The Hague. Yes. You think you have bipartisan support. Can you name some on on your side and and somebody else's side? And also, you reached out to Boris Johnson, too, correct, over in the U.K.? What's yeah, been the response? So I, I talked to, to the British ambassador. Ron, uh, Boris Johnson has been at the moment. He's been one of the Western leaders that I'm most proud of. He wanted to be more aggressive early on. So uh, there's a complaint in the International Criminal Court. Now, the International Criminal Court has been controversial, but this is a place for it to actually function. There is no rule of law in Russia. During the Balkans War in the 90s, this tribunal was created to bring justice to the genocide in the Balkans. It's a good form uh, to to try Putin, who is clearly a war criminal. The Geneva Convention is being violated uh, in front of your eyes. Uh, war crimes are being committed by by at his direction and uh, through his uh, military leadership. And I want charges to be pursued. I want to work with the British and other nations to create an intel cell that can collect evidence of war crimes, publish the report in real time, and start naming commanders who are actually involved in war crimes. We did this in the Balkans, and that may actually break uh, some people away from Putin. So uh, when when you came out and said, I need a Brutus uh, to take out Caesar, uh, to take out Putin in this case— the uh, Russian ambassador to the United States, Anatoly Antonova, said this. I find the statement of the American politician unacceptable. It is impossible to believe that a center of a country that promotes moral values as a guiding star for all mankind could afford to call for terrorism as a way to achieve Washington's goals yeah. in the international arena. Uh, it's getting scary for the fate of the United States and it demands decisive condemnation and the senator's criminal statements. What's your reaction? My reaction is that he's part of a war crimes regime, that his boss, uh, Putin, uh, is an international criminal, a war criminal, that has stolen his country blind. Some estimates are that Putin's worth $100 billion. Only God knows what the ambassador's worth, and that uh, I'm not the problem. I'm not committing war crimes. Uh, If it were up to me, the people of the Ukraine would live in peace and dignity. So would the Russian people. So the bottom line is the mouthpiece for Putin has no moral standing, and I hope to see him in the Hague one day because I would imagine anybody picked by Putin to be his his voice in America uh, is in the inner circle and part of the problem, not the solution. The solution, again, lies with the Russian people. I know this is difficult, but the Russian people have no future with Putin, and the sooner they can – 
stop the madness in Russia. It will make the world a better place. And I hope there's a Russian spring in the making here. Here's what Vladimir Putin said about an hour ago uh, about the accusations that he's killing innocent people. He had no choice but to act. Listen to this. We have no bad intentions towards our neighbors, and I would like to advise them not to escalate this situation, not to stir things up, not to introduce any restrictions, because we fulfill all our obligations and we will keep on doing that. We see no need to worsen our relations or to escalate the situation, and everything we do, we only do as a response to some unfriendly actions towards the Russian Federation, and I think that everyone should think about how to work normally, how to cooperate in a normal way, in a regular way. Sound good? He just wants you to cooperate in a normal way. Uh, that should be his defense in a war crimes trial where the other side could speak. You know, I've been a military prosecutor, defense counsel, and a judge for about 30 years before I retired. I would gladly come off the sidelines and volunteer my service to make the case that what he said is a lie. There's ample evidence before you every night that what he's saying is a lie. And it really is an affront to all those that he's killed, all the families who have lost loved ones, all the children that have been maimed, all the death and destruction he is he is trying to make it like you're the problem it'd be blaming the jews for the holocaust all i can say is enough of putin 20 years of murder 20 years of thievery 20 years of war crimes enough i've never been more optimistic than i am right now that his days are numbered um, the russian people have a chance to end this what he just said makes me sick to my stomach blaming the victim uh, I hope one day that he faces trial or some other way that his voice is silenced. So, so Senator, a lot of times people say bad things happen in threes. Afghanistan, horrific. Uh, Afghanistan, horrific. And now we have in Vienna talks now to get into a new Iranian deal that wasn't acceptable yeah. uh, seven years ago. It wasn't passed right. by the Senate, even with a majority seven years ago. Yeah. Democrats voted against it. And now into the right. dark of night with us not even in the room, yeah. the, asking the Russians and Chinese to help us get a deal with the Iranians. Number one, as Tom Cotton wrote me this morning, who green-lighted this Russian official to go to Vienna when everybody else is right. stopping them from flying? And number two, what can you do to stop this? Well, number one, uh, Tom Cotton's been great on this, so... It would be like doing a deal with Mussolini as you're trying to control Hitler in World War II. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The third shooter drop is an Iranian nuclear breakout. So what's going to happen here is that they're going to try to go back into the JCPOA, waive sanctions on the Iranians, claim that the oil being produced by Iranian by, the, by Iran helps us with Russia. Here's what I would say. Allowing Iran to receive money from oil production – is giving money to a religious Nazi, the Ayatollah, who really does want to kill the Jewish people, infidels, and uh, reshape Islam. It's insane to do another deal with a religious Nazi, the Ayatollah. Under my theory, under my construct, there would be no ability for Russian war criminals to travel. I think the ambassador to the United States has to be close to Putin. If you did an investigation of how close, you would find that he's probably part of the theft ring, and he's propping up a war criminal. So under my theory, these people would be indicted, and if they left Russia, 
they would be uh, put in jail and put on trial. What I'm trying to tell the generals and all those involved in this endeavor, that we're going to start naming names, and you'll never be able to travel other than to North Korea. So break while you can. Negotiating with the Iranians is insane under this under these circumstances. Senator, a lot going on. Uh, and meanwhile, these people are struggling just to stay alive, being bombarded yeah. where they're totally outgunned and overwhelmed. Yeah. But these, but right now we know our, uh, the NATO secretary is meeting with the secretaries of state and their yeah. counterparts of all of NATO. Yeah. Hopefully they come up with something and they take some bold yeah. action because mild action gets people killed. Senator, thanks so much. And thank you. And just to end this, uh, Putin just blamed the people of Ukraine uh, for their own slaughter. That makes me sick. Thank I hear you. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. What I don't like about a lot of the discussions we're hearing on cyber deterrence is this is not the Cold War. This is a madman with nukes. He's very isolated and distanced. And so I think we really need to think through what are the pathways we have left. I think that's two parts. One, connecting with the Russian people. I think they're they're our best hope, really, to put pressure on Putin and the regime to de-escalate this. And the second one is oligarchs. Yes, we've just sanctioned tons of them, but none of them are going to be happy about going back home after losing a fortune. And I'm sure they don't like, after being part of the West in many ways, seeing what's going on in terms of not just their reputation, but in terms of their country and the deaths of tens of thousands of soldiers. So I think the situation we'll see unfold in the coming weeks is uh, quite a bit more complicated. And we are basing it on if the West does something, Putin will do something. I ask if the West does nothing, what Putin might do. More uh, more atrocities. So there is um, a lot going on. First off, before we go any further, I got to urge you to go to Fox Nation and download Who is Vladimir Putin. So many people are getting a quick course who don't have a radio show and ask Kamala Harris to explain it to them about what is, why this matters. I think people are coming around to seeing it, why it matters. Number two, uh, it's another great reason to get Fox Nation. I'm going to be expanding on it and doing a special that's going to air Sunday at 10. But before you do that, and I appreciate everybody listening here. I'm also uh, been asked to do another special edition of uh, One Nation. So I got One Nation, 8 p.m. Eastern time, which will have all the breaking news. You see what we woke up to today with the nuclear attack. You have no idea what's going to happen. I know this. We've got the best reporters, the best access, the best resources by far. So I'll be able to bring you that. I think I know the topic enough to bring you the latest with some, con- uh, with some context. And then we're going to do it again at 11 o'clock. In between will be uh, the great Dan Bongino as well as Lawrence Jones. I'll probably join uh, Lawrence on the set for a little. We'll have all the latest. I know we're glued to this. I've never seen it. I never thought I would see a war in Europe like this. This is stuff you usually go to the History Channel for. But we actually are making history now. Uh, because we're in the middle of it, because we let another brutal despot get away with murder for really since 2008 in Georgia. Uh, with Chechnya, you know, I think what happened? We saw these guys who are Muslim extremists. We saw them uh, with their breakaway republic. We were coming down hard in Al-Qaeda. We looked over and said, Chechnya, is that your terrorist? We kind of looked the other way. That's a little bit more understandable. But what's not understandable right now is letting them get Georgia in retrospect. But you saw what Josh Rogan said. We parked our planes in Georgia in the capital, and they didn't do anything. And then when they went in 2014, when they grabbed Crimea and said, well, it was ours anyway, and the Donbass region, and then shot down a plane, 
Remember a passenger jet plane in the middle of all this operation and we did nothing? They said, no, they're just going to be paper tigers again. America's coming apart at the seams. The West doesn't get along. They need our gas. They need our oil. They need our grain. What can they do? We'll reestablish the Soviet Union. I'll have my legacy. No one will stop me. And now Vladimir Putin has got to seize severe sanctions. He's got the West galvanized. He's got Germany understanding that they got to get uh, get back to understanding that they cannot go wind and solar and they got to go back to getting LNG from other people besides Russia, and it'll be us, I hope, fingers across, and to at least go to the Middle East for a lot of their issues. And it's got them all together. So in terms of uh, what's going to be happening next, I worry about the capital falling because um, if the capital falls, Zelensky's either going to be killed, captured, or he's going to get out. You heard what the recommendation was from uh, Admiral Stavridis to go to leave and stay there. It's going to be closer to Poland. They have not seen much action. As of yet, they'll be able to fortify there and get ready to set up an insurgency, which might be his best bet. In terms of how these sanctions are impacting Russia, Raf Sanchez of NBC said this, cut seven. We are hearing from ordinary Russians whose lives have been turned upside down by these sanctions. We spoke this morning to a young woman. She runs a successful health food company, but she's looking to move to Argentina. And she told us there's no future here. And we are hearing that over and over again from young, educated Russians. But getting out of Russia is not an easy thing to do right now. If you go to one of Moscow's international airports, you look up at the departure board, you are just seeing a sea of cancellations because North American and European airspace are closed to Russian aircraft. And of course, as the ruble collapses in value, prices are just skyrocketing here. And we are seeing that on everything from car parts to toys to groceries in the supermarkets. People here are very, very worried about their savings, whether inflation is going to completely wipe them out. So Russia has to feel the pain. Vladimir Putin's got to lose his job. In the meantime, the Ukrainians, as tough as he gets, are holding on for their lives. More on that on Fox Nation. Keep it here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmead.com and order all my books. Put history in perspective. Thanks so much for listening. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.